Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Podcast. This audio is brought to you by Canon Press. Just this last week, we made Douglas Wilson's talk show Man Rampant Season 1 available in the Canon app for free. So all you need to do is download the Canon app, and there, unlocked from the paywall, you will see Season 1 of Man Rampant. Download it today and watch to your heart's desire. Welcome to the podcast. This is episode 186. My name is Douglas Wilson. I'm very grateful that you decided to join me. Thanks for coming along. So the thing I want to talk about, uh, sort of the issue of the day that I wanted to talk about in this episode, is what I would call the theocratic case, the theocratic case for free speech, the theocratic case for free speech. Now, I'm toying with the idea of uh, writing a book on this, toying with the idea of approaching this whole thing um, more systematically. So consider this as uh, some preliminary sketches, some preliminary thoughts. One of the things that people do when when they first start grappling with the failure of the great secular experiment, and that failure, including the abandonment of a defense of free speech by liberals. So when I was a kid, you know, it was the ACLU and people like that who were out there saying, it doesn't matter what he said. It doesn't matter how, how infuriating it is. It doesn't matter what the difficulty is. Free speech is sort of an absolute baseline right that we all have. So many decades ago, it would be the ACLU, a progressive leftist organization that would fight for the right of neo-Nazis to have a march or a parade, okay? And so there was this, and and all sorts of things were brought in under the guise of um, free speech, uh, pornography and relaxation of uh, all sorts of um, social codes and whatnot, many of which were reflected in the law. The uh, liberals were oftentimes in the forefront of declaring free speech as sort of an absolute Right. But now the progressive left is uh, the enemy of free speech, the open and avowed enemy. And not just, uh, well, it's just really bad. I just read this morning online that, that, uh, that certain people were dropped off of uh, one of the big tech platforms because they were undermining confidence in NATO. <laughs> you say, what? What? Now, in response to this, obviously the liberal left has had a great rethink on the whole subject of free speech. All of a sudden, it, it appears that they don't like it anymore. Well, there have been some right-wing, a number of right-wing conservative defenders of free speech who are having second thoughts of their own. Well, isn't this uh, something that we get from John Locke and other Enlightenment figures? And is this commitment to free speech really scriptural? And so, as someone who learned a great deal from the Reconstructionists, and someone who wants to avow that we have a responsibility to, as a nation, to submit to the authority of King Jesus, we need to acknowledge him in all our ways. We need to basically become a Christian nation again, not informally, which is what we were before. The United States was a Christian nation 
informally in decentralized ways. We need to become Christian again in formal ways. And some Christians are saying, well, what does that do if we become formally Christian? What does that do to the Enlightenment ideal of free speech? Doesn't that mean that Christian nation would, you know, shut up, uh, you know, not allow communists and atheists and whatever, or Muslims to say their peace. And so I want to argue that the only real foundation for liberty of conscience and freedom of speech is going to be a theocratic case. I believe that theocracy, the worship of the true God, uh, who is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is also the true God in the power of the Holy Spirit, who is also the true God, is the only foundation that we can have for a, a real strong understanding of free speech. But free speech is a fruit of the gospel. Free speech is not the gospel itself. I don't believe in the gospel of free speech. I believe in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the cultural fruits that will come from that is free speech. Now, I just have time here to state one of my foundational presuppositions in this, making the, the theocratic uh, case for free speech. But I think this is probably one of the more important aspects of this. C.S. Lewis says somewhere that he doesn't object to slavery because men don't deserve to be slaves. Basically, all sinners deserve to be slaves. We are under condemnation because of our sins. Basically, if you are enslaved to your lusts, you're going to be somebody's slave. If you're enslaved to your lusts, you're going to be somebody's servant. That's why John Adams said our Constitution presupposes a moral and a religious people. He said it is wholly unfit for any other. All right, so slaves of sin are going to be slaves. But Lewis says, and Lewis argues this, and and said, arguing a variant of this, and he says that he does not object to enslavement of human beings because we don't deserve to be slaves. He says he objects to enslavement because no man deserves to be a master. All right. In other words, it's not, it's not the case that 90% of us deserve to be slaves and 10 of us deserve to be masters. The problem of sin is pervasive. And the problem of sin means that no one is to be trusted with the authority to govern others absolutely. Uh, there is such a thing as true authority, but the Christian conviction, because of this problem of sin, the Christian conviction must be conviction of the virtue of limited government always, whether it's the government of the family or government in the church or government in the civil order, limited government is absolutely necessary if you have a Christian doctrine of sin. If you understand that everybody's a sinner and that everybody who gets power is going to be tempted to aggrandize more power and everybody who has power is going to be tempted to abuse that power, you have to confess the Christian view of government is that limited government is a necessity. Now, if limited government is a necessity, I'll put it this way. If God were to send the archangel Gabriel down to whack people for saying stupid things or to chastise, and the archangel Gabriel were to lock you up for telling lies or to severely chastise you for spreading disinformation, 
God is the Lord. He can do this. The Archangel Gabriel is not going to let it go to his head. The Archangel Gabriel can whack us for being foolish with our talk or being misleading with our talk or abusing the, our, our free speech. But if you want to restrict free speech in this life through human agency or through a human agency and means, then you are entrusting that power, the power to regulate, to someone who has the very same problem that the person being regulated has. Right? So, and James Madison argues this, I think it's in Federalist, I think it's Federalist 51, it's in the 50s somewhere. James Madison argues that if men were angels, we wouldn't need government. And you have to give the government enough power to govern the people and in, construct it in such a way as to oblige it to control itself. So when someone says, we need free speech codes, we need free speech, and it doesn't matter if the person says, we need free speech codes because Jesus is Lord and his word is law, uh, one of the first questions that should come up is, yes, okay, I can see how that fellow over there needs to be told to put a sock in it, but who are you going to get to enforce what Jesus wants us all to say? And I think a biblical view of this means that we need to be far more wary of what the government is allowed to say than we are of what the citizens are allowed to say. And when the, when the debate about free speech erupts, it's almost always about what the guy standing on the park bench in downtown, in, in the downtown, you know, spouting off what he gets to say. Well, if we're going to regulate free speech, let's begin with uh, presidents and congressmen, right? So, just part of a preliminary sketch. There's more coming. So, podcast episode 186 in our study of homartiology. In our study of homartiology, we come to a word that is a real jawbreaker, so work with me here. The word is desidimonisteros. <laughs> desidimonisteros. And it occurs in one place in Scripture, which is in Acts 17. Paul uses it in his opening when he stands up to address the men of Athens on Mars Hill. And in Acts 17.22, it says this, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. And this word superstitious is how the uh, KJV renders our word, desidimonisteros. But in modern English, we might think that he was talking about an avoidance of black cats and broken mirrors. The ESV puts it this way. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. That's the ESV. This rendering is difficult also because ancient paganism was a lot closer to the placating practices of the superstitious than it is, for example, to a modern Unitarian who is very devout and philosophical. What do you think of when you think superstitious? Well, like black cats and mirrors and throwing a pinch of salt over your shoulder and so forth. But a central driving motive of all superstition is fear. You are constantly walking in such a way as to stay out of trouble with the gods or with whoever it is that's running this place. So, people who are superstitious today aren't afraid of the gods, but they might be afraid of the fairies or the, or the gremlins or whatever, you know, or Murphy's Law or whatever. They just knock on wood because it's fear or an abundance of caution. And in that sense, ancient paganism was a lot closer to our modern word superstition wasn't identical, not exactly the same thing, but 
it was a lot closer than it was to the idea of being religious. So someone could be religious today, hardly anyone thinks of craven, placating, appeasing uh, practices. So it was in that setting, the Apostle Paul stood up and he, he declared to the Athenians a way of liberation. So we're continuing with podcast episode 186, and uh, this is my book review section, and this is a book review slash book uh, promotion. I'd like to talk for a minute about the uh, Ashtown Chronicles. The Ashtown Chronicles is a, a series of books ri- written by my son under his uh, uh, writing name, N.D. Wilson, and um, the Ashtown Chronicles begins with the Dragon's Tooth and uh, moves on to the Drowned Vault and then on to Empire of Bones. And uh, he is currently working on the fourth and final book in the Ashtown Chronicles, The Silent Bells. Now, he's written three different series of um, books. There's the Outlaws of Time series. There is the um, 100 Cupboards series. And then there's the Ashtown Chronicles series. Then there's one standalone book that he's written called The Door Before. And the, one of the, the Door Before uh, sort of ties those three worlds together. If you want to, uh, so the um, Outlaws of Time is one, one world, the Cupboards world is another world, and then the Ashtown world is yet another. And then The Door Before is sort of a key that weaves the, the three, those three worlds together in, in an interesting way. So. You might have fun with that. Out of these worlds, I'll just say this. The Ashtown world is my favorite. Think of uh, the Ashtown uh, Society or the the Order of Brendan uh, Society as sort of a spiritual National Geographic Society with all sorts of hidden secrets and powers and history and so forth. And like any institution, it has corruption within its ranks but good guys who are keeping the old order straight and so so on. Now, out of these three worlds, the Cupboards world, the Ashtown world, and the Outlaws world, the Ashtown world is my favorite world. I like the structure of that world and the, the storytelling possibilities of that world better than the other. The Cupboards world is a, uh, runs a close second. And the reason the Outlaws world is third, in my thinking, is probably because It's a time travel world, and time travel stories and me go together sort of like, um, I don't know, whiskey and ice cream. They're not, uh, they don't pair naturally together, right? And that's simply, I'm sure this is a defect in me because I simply cannot get my mind around the time travel aspect to it. It's like sitting down to read a book about round squares. I have a hard time with the willing suspension of disbelief. Because it's this is about round squares, or this is about time travel. So I'll just rank them that way. Uh, the Ashtown world is my favorite world. Some of my favorite characters are in the cupboards worlds, but there you go. The first three volumes were published in the Ashtown series and uh, by Random House, and then in a uh, a series of events that I won't go into, but having to do with the politics of New York publishing and some of the cultural divide that might exist between Idaho and New York City, the Ashtown series was stalled out. 
And so what Nate is now doing is he's writing the uh, fourth, he's writing the fourth book, Silent Bells, as as a uh, serial in- installment of um, chapters where you get the uh, next chapter mailed to you on newsprint, like you get a news- newspaper in the mail, and it's the next chapter. So he's making good progress on that final book, and then after that's done, I've no doubt that the book, the fourth volume, will be published somewhere, but it might be an odd set where the the fourth volume is not published by Random House the way the first three are. Uh, Stay tuned. At some point, I'm sure it's all going to be sorted out. But the Ashtown Chronicles is basically the story of um, some reformers within a corrupted and corrupted and compromised order of Brendan. These are the good guys but they're compromised. They're standing against great, great evil, but there's just a handful of good guys standing against that evil in a society that is dedicated to resisting that evil, but has become compromised itself. And the whole thing is a obviously a great metaphor for the history of the church. So, there you go. Mm-hmm. 